Welcome to the Stories of Dutch Ingenuity podcast. Although all of our podcast guests are not born Dutchies, they are living and working in the Netherlands and are thought leaders, change makers, status quo challengers and visionaries in their worlds. Our guests are taking action on big audacious goals relating to entrepreneurship, sustainable development, environmental issues, circular economy, alternate food systems, climate solutions, renewable energy, waste solutions, and many, many more. Through this podcast series, we will explore their worlds through storytelling, knowing that this is a critical path to rewriting a future story that we can be proud of, where we can move people to take collective action. Be sure to grab a notepad and pen as these are words to take action on. Welcome to the Stories of Dutch Ingenuity podcast series. I'm Catherine van der Meulen and joining me today is Tim van Houtem at Wageningen University and Research, leading NL2120. Thank you so much for sharing your world and allowing me to come into your space at the, at the university. It's an exciting day uh, to be here and to learn about what you are doing in the Netherlands and how we can translate that back onto New Zealand soil in some way. Uh, so tell us, who is Tim Van Houtem? Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I was born in the, the southern part of the Netherlands, uh, almost 50 years old, uh, father of two kids. Uh, I live here in Wageningen uh, and working uh, very hard on uh, trying to uh, help and solve the climate crisis. Wonderful. And what was the the first triggers of thinking to help to solve the climate crisis? What what changed in your heart and mind to for those things to happen? Well, when I was young, I, I already had uh, very much interested in the environment and uh, well, the challenges uh, that the, the planet was facing. Um, but I've been traveling uh, quite a bit um, around the world when I was uh, when I was younger, um, seen beautiful places on earth um, um, yeah uh, I, I, in, in 2001 I've been traveling for a year through Asia uh, traveled several several countries and at a certain point I um, I was uh, diving in Indonesia uh, one of the best uh, diving spots uh, in Sulawesi and uh, Bunaken National Park well to be honest um, Below water is the most beautiful uh, place on earth, I would say. Uh, if you see corals and all the colors and um, uh, animals, uh, fish, it's, it's, it's fantastic, a fantastic place. So if, if I think about biodiversity, I think back on that, uh, that place. Uh, you see so many colors and so many uh, diversity of, of uh, animals and plants. Um, but a few islands uh, further uh, on our travel, uh, we were also um, snorkeling. Uh, and one of, one of the small islands in Indonesia, and there they have been uh, fishing with dynamite. So uh, we saw uh, a coral reef that was totally, uh, completely destroyed, and it was very, um, yeah, it was very sad to see. It was it was crazy, and I, I think that, that at that moment I, I realized how much impact. Uh, we have on uh, on the planet, and uh, I think that's that's a little bit a symbol also for the uh, Anthropocene. That you see that uh, yeah, we, we just with some simple stupid uh, things we can destroy uh, some beautiful places. Mm. And uh, well, I think at that time I turned a little bit, uh, I became a little bit more activistic. 
Amazing. And what now do you think drives your motivation? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning to be a leader in this space? Yeah, so as we all know, we, we are facing a very big challenge, eh? climate change, uh, loss of biodiversity. They are very much interconnected, those two crises. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I see, uh, we, we receive a lot of alarming news about, uh, about these challenges. So uh, the, uh, the world is on fire. Um, a lot of people don't believe anymore that we can, uh, that we can fix it, that we can solve it. Um, so, and well, I'm working on uh, climate solutions, eh? so uh, that's that's my job. Uh, we, we we create evidence base about solutions for the for solving the climate crisis. And I see that we have already so many solutions. Uh, just uh, so we have the knowledge, we have the money, uh, we have the solutions. The only thing we have to do is we have to start. Um, yeah. Um, implementing all these solutions all over the planet and um, well if you look around uh, with politicians and uh, business leaders and uh, they, they they are not always um, uh, they don't have climate climate change on top of their mind uh, yet so i'm very motivated to um, to start telling uh, the urgency about the climate crisis, but but uh, especially what we can do about it, and show that it's not too late to act, because um, that was also the key message of the latest IPCC report. And it's not too late. We are we are very late. We started very late. Uh, so you mentioned before about the influence of politicians and leaders and particularly organizations and businesses who maybe their motivation, their top motivation isn't climate and maybe they're still living in the old paradigm of profit and shareholder wealth and all of that crazy stuff over our most important stakeholder. How do you start to influence those kind of leaders who are still sitting in that old paradigm of thinking to think about the future? Yeah, I think... Uh, uh, universities, uh, scientists can can play a very important role in that because we, um, uh, yeah, we do a lot of research on, uh, especially on the problem, uh, but also on, uh, on on the solutions. And I think our, our way of commu communicating is uh, by uh, scientific papers. But I think uh, most of the politicians and business leaders don't read uh, scientific papers. So we have, I think, it's really important that we find other ways of communicating. Uh, also as scientists and um, uh, so not only in, in, in scientific papers but also um, well giving uh, uh, keynote speeches, speeches on uh, not for scientists uh, so we, we do a lot of uh, at conferences we speak a lot to our community of scientists but we have to speak to the financial sector and to uh, CEO, CEOs of, of, of big businesses and to politicians so yeah, I think we have to uh, to put more effort on that and find other ways of communicating also in uh, not so difficult, readable um, uh, scientific papers, but uh, in uh, uh, yeah other forms like uh, a book or an article in the newspaper or anything uh, on TV. Um, but I think we have to reach a bigger audience by communicating in a more easy way, understandable way. And maybe changing the story or changing the narrative so it's more 
that's easier for different communities to understand or different leaders to understand rather than the scientific jargon, maybe more of kind of potentially dumbing it down a little into more, you know, layman's terms, I guess, into um, bite-sized pieces of information rather than maybe the whole story. Does it come down to smaller pieces and depending on your audience, how you connect that story? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and also show uh, and because we receive all this alarming news, um, not only talk about uh, the urgency and the alarming news, but actually uh, create an attractive uh, story about uh, the future we can uh, develop. And because our key message is also that if we um, uh, start implementing all these solutions, uh, that that can also create uh, a win-win-win. Eh? Because, mm. um, Climate and biodiversity solutions um, can create uh, cleaner air, uh, cleaner water, um, more equality, um, uh, healthier people, uh, more happiness. Uh, so it can also create a lot of uh, uh, advantages that that we don't talk about that much. And I think so we have we have to create an attractive story. Um, to mobilize uh, as many people as possible to start moving in the good direction. And so I know you wear a few different hats at the university. Can you share more about some of the different things that you're involved with at the university? Obviously, NL2120, we spoke about the nature-based challenge and the advisory role that you're on there. Tell us more about some of those roles. Yeah, so my key role here is that I am the head of the climate program, Green Climate Solutions uh, Research Program. So we have um, here at Environmental Sciences and the Department of Wageningen University and Research. <coughs> we have uh, five strategic programs, and one of these programs is about um, uh, green climate solutions. So the, the key of that um, program is to develop evidence based about uh, nature-based climate solutions, and also create uh, more insight about the impact of climate change but especially focusing on what can we do about it. And uh, well, our key focus is on nature-based solutions. So how can nature help us solving the climate, uh, climate crisis? Um, so, so that's one, one role. Um, uh, I'm also in the advisory board of the uh, student challenges. So we, we develop uh, challenges for students around the world um, and well, invite students to start thinking about a certain topic. So last year we launched the Nature-Based Futures Challenge where we invited students from all over the world. Four years ago I initiated um, that we, um, we created a vision about the future of the Netherlands. So we developed a vision about uh, the Netherlands in 2120, 100 years ahead from well that time. Um, to show how our country could look like when we uh, start applying these nature-based solutions on a very large scale in, uh, in our country. Um, yeah, so that's what I, what I do here. Amazing. And so back in 2019, mm -hmm. you started working on the project for NL2120, started in December, began in January the following year. Tell us about the vision behind that and some of the organizations that you brought together and what what the plan is for the next 100 years or maybe even the next 10 years and then what's the bigger picture vision of 100 years? Yeah. Yeah, so what we, uh, so in 2019, we had this idea of developing 
uh, a vision how our country could look like in 100 years from now if we apply nature-based solutions on a very large scale. And the reason for that was that, um, uh, well, mostly if we think about the future of the Netherlands, we show pictures that our country is uh, for the half on, underwater eh, because of sea level rise. We are low lying. Next Venice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so that, that's really an alarming picture. Eh, that that's uh, well, the, the whole west the western part of our country will be flooded because of uh, because of sea level rise. And that's not really a hopeful uh, vision for the future. So we um, we came up with an idea to show that if we apply um, the solutions we already have, um, and if we start working with nature rather than against it, um, how would our country ideally look in the future if we uh, if we start applying these uh, these um, yeah these measures uh, all over the country? Uh, and then we came up with the idea to, to, to create a new map for the Netherlands. So we developed a map um, for the Netherlands in 2120, um, visualizing this nature-based future for our country. And it was a little bit an experiment. Um, we developed that with uh, 20 experts here on the campus. Um, and it was really nice because it's, uh, we, we had um, uh, ecologists, uh, uh, agricultural uh, specialists, uh, climate experts, forest experts, soil experts, uh, economists, uh, social scientists, uh, all kinds of different disciplines in a room and uh, with a map of, of the Netherlands uh, on the table and I asked them, uh, well, how would our country look like if we um, uh, started working with nature? And we had some fantastic discussions, uh, it was a very inspiring uh, sessions and we ended up with developing a map, um, visualizing this uh, this uh, hopeful future for our country. And so it shows a country with, um, well, renewable energy at sea, food production at sea, uh, more space for water, more forests, uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, green and healthy cities, uh, landscapes as sponges, uh, lots of space for nature, but also for food production. Um, but everything more, much more in balance with nature. And um, well, we, we published that in December 2019. Uh, well, it was picked up by uh, all the big newspapers in the Netherlands. Uh, I was invited on a big TV show to, uh, to talk about it. Um, and suddenly everybody was talking about this vision. And we were invited all over the place. Um, I've, I think I've, I've I gave uh, at least uh, 200 keynotes about this vision and still every Imagine. week I I'm asked to, to talk about this vision. And it shows, uh, I think the lesson we have learned is that, that people really want a hopeful vision for the future. And people are sick of all this alarming news. Everybody knows the, the urgency and, uh, so, and, and people don't actually don't want to hear it anymore. But what they do want to hear is that the way we want to go. And this gives, well, a hopeful vision uh, of the future we want. So, um, um, yeah, we have been discussing this with, with uh, ministers, with the European Commission, uh, with um, uh, municipalities, provinces, uh, school kids, uh, well, I think with everybody uh, in our country. And um, we also applied for a big research fund in the Netherlands. So um, with, a, with a consortium of um, uh, 25 partners uh, with a nature organization.
solutions and accelerating the implementation of nature-based solutions in the Netherlands and abroad. Um, and and we, we received that fund, so we now have a research program of 110 million euros for the next 10 years <coughs> to start uh, developing uh, and yeah, uh, speeding up in, in the direction of this vision. And uh, well, that's also the key message. So we need a long-term vision uh, on the horizon. So it gives you direction where you want to go. But if you want to reach that, you have to start today. So uh, a long-term vision is nice, but uh, it only helps if you uh, start acting today. Because everything we do at this, uh, our country is facing a lot of challenges. Uh, we have to build uh, one million uh, new houses. And we have problems with agriculture and uh, nitrogen uh, crisis where we are in. We have to uh, uh, um, adapt to the impact of climate change. Yeah? So uh, flood risk, uh, drought risk, sea level rise. So we have to, we really need uh, to redesign our country. And all these challenges, uh, yeah, we have to start today. Uh, by everything we do, we have to think about uh, are we moving in the direction of uh, this vision for the Netherlands 2120. Mm. I think it's really inspiring and, uh, well, really nice. Yeah. And so you recently spoke at COP28. What was the response from the global community in that environment? Yeah, it was really nice because we, we, only, we, we also have been talking uh, about the Netherlands 2120 with the European Commission. And uh, in September last year, I gave a lecture, the, the Monsol lecture in uh, Brussels, uh, about a nature-based vision for Europe. <clears throat> so, be, because our, our key message is actually that that every country, maybe every region, should have uh, a long-term nature-based vision for the future uh, they want, uh, where nature is at the heart of the solution for the future. And um, uh, that was also the key message at COP. So I, I presented there our vision. Uh, so we developed a nature-based vision for Europe uh, in 2120. Also um, uh, showing that, that uh, uh, yeah, we don't have to look at the country borders because if you, if you really make a nature-based vision, you have to look beyond the borders. And uh, uh, well, Europe is our... Uh, <laughs> It is our uh, continent where we have to uh, think about a nature-based future. Um, so I, I presented uh, our ideas for a nature-based future for Europe and with the key message that every, every region uh, should have uh, a long-term vision like that mm -hmm. um, uh, around the world. And uh, well, there was, a lot, there was a lot of enthusiasm about that. Uh, so um, I think, um, well, we planted the seed again uh, for for this way of thinking around the world. The seeds to be planted are the most important ones, I think. Yeah. You mentioned before about nature being our greatest ally in the, on the journey, and we have so much to learn from how nature can naturally rehabilitate itself. Share more about why that is our greatest ally and how we need to learn from it. Yeah, so we try to, uh, if you talk about climate, and, and, and the solutions, we talk a lot about techno technological solutions and techno-fix solutions. And we need technology um, on a very large scale, uh, but, but we seem to forget that uh, the, the cheapest and most promising uh, climate solution is uh, working with nature, is, is nature itself. 
And so uh, half of all the, 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 the carbon emissions uh, are being uh, captured by, by our biosphere. Our oceans, our forests, our soils, they, they capture a lot of carbon. And um, well, a lot of scientific studies have shown that if we start protecting and restoring nature all over the world, it can help us uh, reaching the, the Paris Agreement goals by one third. So wow. nature-based solutions, implementing nature-based solutions all over the world is one third of the solution, but they only receive um, um, very small amount of the money is going to nature-based solutions. And, and that needs, needs to be changed. Um, and um, so, so nature-based solutions can help us uh, for the climate mitigation goals, uh, storing carbon, but they also help us to uh, create resilience for the impact of climate change that, is, uh, that we already see. Floods, uh, droughts, heat waves, so nature, um, protecting and restoring nature can help us become more resilient for the impact of climate change at the 1.5 degree warmer, warmer world. So, um, but uh, there is, and there's a huge need for um, 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 scaling these nature-based solutions all over the world. Uh, actually, uh, a study uh, showed that uh, there's a need for uh, $700 billion a year for implementing nature-based solutions all over the world, but we only spent at this moment uh, $100 or $150 billion a year. So there's a huge finance gap in uh, well uh, scaling these nature-based solutions, and we have to uh, close that gap. And therefore, we need... Um, to really show uh, and create evidence-based that nature-based solutions are such a, a smart way forward. Um, and that's, that, that's what we're doing. Um, we're trying to show that uh, nature-based solutions are not only uh, a cheaper and a smarter solution, but they also create a win-win-win because uh, they um, yeah, uh, also help restore a bio, uh, biodiversity uh, create uh, cleaner water, healthier air, uh, healthier people. Uh, if you calculate all these benefits into the business case of nature-based solutions, it, it's uh, it's a it, no-brainer. And it's well and beyond $700, $700 billion. Exactly, yeah. So I'd love to talk about storytelling because you mentioned it's really about how do we change the, the story. What is the new story that we need to be thinking about? Yes, we want to, you know, shift away from the doom and gloom and that we're, you know, the world is going to end and we do need to create and use our imagination to create a different future. But also what's the bridge to getting to that that new paradigm that we're trying to get to? Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, had uh, a few years ago, I had an, uh, quite an interesting experience, I think, because I was... Um, at my daughter's classroom, <clears throat> she was uh, 10 years old at that moment, and I was talking to her um, teacher about uh, climate change, and I asked her, um, well, do you also teach about uh, climate change in uh, primary school? And she said, no, but uh, be my guest, you, if you want to give a lesson about climate change to, uh, to the class of your daughter, uh, be my guest. So, uh, so I did. Uh, a week later, I was... Uh, talking about climate change uh, to uh, 25 kids in uh, my daughter's class. And I showed them, uh, well, I, I showed them all these pictures of 
wildfires, uh, uh, floods, uh, droughts, all these terrible alarming messages about uh, climate change. And at a certain moment I was looking around in the classroom and these kids were looking at me uh, with big eyes and I, I really saw a, um, uh, they were scared. Mm. I, I was scaring them. Uh, and there was one boy almost starting to cry in that classroom. It really happened. And at that moment I realized, what, what on earth are we doing? We are, we are talking about uh, the biggest problem ever. And um, we, we are not, uh, with all these alarming messages, and we are not talking about uh, what we can do about it. And well, I also had some uh, slides with me about the solutions, but, but people don't listen anymore if you, you overload them with alarming messages. So that at that time, I really realized we have to change the narrative. We have to show um, what we can do about it and show that we take leadership in also doing uh, what we know we have to do. Um, and well, at the moment, 70% uh, of the world population is extremely worried about the future. Um, you see, uh, especially by young people, uh, that eco-anxiety is a really serious problem. We see it here on the campus as well. Students leaving our campus uh, with, the, with, the, with the embassy in their pockets, uh, but they, are, they don't believe that, that, the world, that the future will be better or, or, or as good as it is now. And that is, I think, our biggest challenge. So we have to... Uh, change the narrative and, and uh, show where we want to go, show how the future we want looks like and mobilize as many people and as many platforms and as many means and not only uh, scientific articles and newspaper but also books and yesterday evening I was at a theater show uh, about climate change but, but very positive, uh, made especially for kids um, but yeah, a positive and hopeful uh, message for the future. I think uh, that's really needed. So what is one way that we could start to think differently to drive and change our ideas? Like if we have our wild imagination and through our work or through our studies or through how we can influence, how do we then change those ideas to drive it to be different because it's all very well to say we've got to be in a more positive mindset we can't sit in the climate anxiety but how do we actually change our behaviors to drive and propel that differently forward that's a difficult one <laughs> um yeah i think we have to keep in mind that um and uh, because the IPCC report, latest IPCC report, I think it's it's maybe the most important report of this time. Uh, it, it showed uh, the urgency, but it, the, the key message uh, we seem to forget is that it's not too late and we have the solutions. And we have to really keep that in mind. So we have to, I think uh, now we have to stop focusing on, uh, it's still needed to, to talk about the urgency of these uh, challenges. But... Um, I think most people know, and uh, some people stop listening, but they know, but they don't want to hear it. But I think now it's time to uh, that we uh, have to start talking about what, what can we do about it. I mean, we have to really have to realize that this is the decade of uh, the truth. 
And because if, if this decade we don't uh, make uh, very big changes, then, then, then it will be too late. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we don't have much time. Uh, we are really running out of time. Um, but, but, yeah, I think it, it's very important to keep in mind that, that it's not too late. We have the solutions and now we have to act. So we really have to uh, start acting. And also small actions uh, can make a difference. And that, that was also uh, one of the key messages of the latest IPCC report, is that 40 to 70% of the emission reduction can be uh, realized by uh, the behavioral change. So uh, we can always point at somebody else that has to, uh, the, the responsibility to solve the climate crisis. And we have to look at the government and we can look at the businesses, but we have also very big influence ourselves. And we have to start realizing that as well. We are all humans, so we are all contributors. So we all have the opportunity to contribute to be as climate leaders as well, rather than just waiting for top-down approach for somebody else to find that solution, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you have written a wonderful book. Unfortunately, this copy is in, in Dutch. Uh, I never had the opportunity to, to learn my father's language. Uh, which is called Only a Planet Climate Guide for the 21st Century. Can you share more about the, the book? Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the seed for this book was planted in my daughter's classroom. Um, and so when I was talking about these alarming messages, and I thought, okay, we have to uh, start showing the directions we have to go. And um, so uh, it's called The Only Planet. It's a little bit uh, a travel guide uh, to, um, uh, through the 21st century. And I wanted to show that, um, so in, in this book, there are seven routes to a hopeful future. And um, well, uh, seven routes with all kinds of solutions we already have. We have to start implementing these uh, all over the world. Uh, but these solutions are already on the table. So we can uh, start doing that uh, today. And I actually wanted to show that, that um, and because if, if you talk about climate, the climate challenge, we talk a lot about energy and fossil fuels and uh, the energy transition, which is really, really important. In my book, it's, it's one, of these, one of these seven routes. But uh, one of my key messages is that we need much more than the energy transition to, uh, to start moving in the right direction. So, uh, uh, of course, the energy transition is really, really important. But we also have start to implement other solutions. So the first route is about nature. Uh, and, and nature-based solutions. Uh, the second route is about water, because um, uh, actually the climate crisis is a, is a water crisis. Uh, we, we talk about, a lot about flood risk, especially here in the Netherlands. But uh, drought risk is is the the challenge of the 21st century. So um, I thought uh, the second route is called blue gold. We have to every drop of water is our new uh, gold for the 21st century. Well, uh, the third route is, is about food because we, we had a food system is contributing to climate change and to biodiversity loss on a very large scale. So we cannot never solve the, the climate biodiversity crisis without a total transition, transformation of our food system. Um, well, it's about cities, uh, the fourth route, because, um, well, our cities contribute to climate change uh, for the, uh, they are the biggest contributors, but the, the the impact of climate change will be huge for many many cities. So we have to redesign our cities on a very large scale, 
creating more healthy and green uh, cities. Um, well, then the, uh, the energy is, uh, is Route 5. Route 6 is about the economy, because the most sustainable energy we can use is the energy we don't use. So, and therefore we need a total different economy that is much more in balance with nature. Mm. Um, and then Route 7 is about um, health and um, um, uh, well-being, uh, and actually about happiness. Because, uh, well, we all want to be happy, but we think we, we, we become happy from uh, buying uh, uh, clothes and uh, buying uh, new stuff and um, status, uh, having, uh, uh, being very important and those kind of things. But the truth is, and a lot of studies show that we, we, will, we are much more happy if we have, uh, if we have a life mission. Yeah? In Japan, they call that Ikigai, mm. uh, the reason why you get out of bed in the morning. I always say, uh, and you only, we only live 4,000 weeks on average. So that's scary. Uh, that's really scary. Um, but if you uh, spend that 4,000 weeks with uh, a reason to come out of bed, uh, and, and if you all have the reason to come out of bed is uh, solving uh, the climate crisis, we, be, we become happier people. And also we, we become happier if we are uh, as much as possible in nature. So if we are much more connected to nature. So maybe that's the biggest innovation of the 21st century, to become more uh, connected to nature. Well, so all these roots show, uh, well, I think, and I really believe that we can, uh, if we follow all these roots, and we don't have to do uh, one route in a time, we, all, we have to do them all. But then we can create a more uh, a healthy and happier uh, world. And, um, well, if you follow all these routes, then it looks a little bit like the Netherlands 2120, but not only for the Netherlands, for the whole, uh, I think, for the whole world. So Recently, you won the Wageningen University and Research Impact Award. What was something within that that you were most proud of? Yeah, so we won that because of all the success of this uh, Netherlands 2120 vision. And I think... Um, the, 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 the most wonderful thing, or the, the, the thing where I'm most proud of that, that it really was a team effort. So um, uh, I've been talking about uh, uh, this vision a lot um, with, with many, many people, but, but we did this with 20 people. Um, and um, so with, with really people from, from different disciplines and uh, this multidisciplinary approach and uh, bringing uh, a lot of different uh, experts in a room thinking about a hopeful vision for the future. Uh, yeah, that was a fantastic process. And uh, yeah, it was really a team effort that we, uh, that we won that, uh, that impact award, which is, I think, uh, great. Uh, we are here at the uh, University campus. It's one of, uh, it's the most uh, sustainable campus in the world. Um, uh, and we, we've developed this, this vision that has been uh, uh, spread around the world now in Europe. Uh, well, we were in, in Bangladesh, but we have been talking about uh, this vision also with, with other people from other countries. And a lot of people are so inspired by that. So um, I think we inspired a lot of people and we hope we can uh, uh, spread the word and uh, that, that uh, other universities also start doing these kind of exercises. Well, we will put up our hand in New Zealand to uh, 
Absolutely, lead these nature nature based solutions. It would be fantastic to have a New Zealand twenty one twenty. about the funding that you received over the next 10-year period and a lot of organisations in New Zealand particularly that I work with really struggle to get the right funding and large-scale funding to create the impact. You mentioned that we need $700 billion to really close that gap. Um, What are some of the things that you learned about how to actually fund these projects? Is it about bringing diverse multidisciplinary people? Is it around the partnerships that you brought together? What was the kind of final piece of being able to get that kind of funding? Yeah, so it was also a struggle here to get uh, to get that funding, and um, um, I think the trick was that that we we developed this um, and we we created so much attention and so much positive um, uh, atmosphere around the vision we we developed eh, from Netherlands Twenty One Twenty. That um, so a lot of people and organizations were so enthusiastic about it that that we created an atmosphere that uh, yeah, yes we can and so um, everybody want, wanted to contribute or everybody but a lot of people and organizations wanted to contribute to this vision and um, so it was actually um, when we applied for this funding it was like um, almost an offer you can't refuse because uh, there was so much. Um, uh, positivity around this, and um, yeah, a lot of lot of uh, people uh, actually said. Also, people in the, in the country said, "Twenty one twenty. It takes much too long. Why why uh, why don't we start earlier? And can we uh, do, do don't can we not create a vision like this uh, in twenty thirty or something like that?" And um, so also, uh, and then this uh, this new fund in the Netherlands was developed about. Um, well, creating a future-proof Netherlands, and we applied for this fund uh, at the right moment with the right consortium, uh, with a lot of positive energy, and uh, yeah, then it was uh, was approved, and now we are starting it up, um, uh, which is a challenge. Yeah, but also, if you have a, uh, having a big fund um, with a lot of partners, is always uh, also challenging to get uh, to get this running. So we are in that phase now, but uh, it, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's a challenge and, it, and it's very, uh, it's fantastic that we, can, uh, that we can start now. Uh, so you recently ran, ran the Jungfrau Marathon to raise awareness on the disappearing glaciers uh, with 10 climate experts uh, with the slogan, it's not too late to run for climate. Can you share more about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic experience. Uh, the Jungfrau Marathon in Switzerland. It's um, it's one of the most beautiful and uh, toughest marathons in the world. It's 42 kilometers and 2,000 altitude meters. And uh, the finish of that marathon is next to the uh, to the Eiger Glacier. And um, uh, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, so the the the, the, the the all the way is beautiful, but uh, at the top it's, it's a fantastic uh, place. But the Jungfrau uh, or the, the Eiger Glacier is one of the places in uh, in the world, I think, where you can see uh, climate change straight into the ice. And when you walk along this glacier, you see the ice dripping off. It was the, the, the warmest edition of the marathon ever. It was 24 degrees at uh, over 2000 altitude meters. Um, 
and well, it shows it, it's our fresh water supply. Yeah? These, uh, it's part of our fresh water supply here in the Netherlands, these glaciers. And they are melting. Uh, so uh, studies show that, um, uh, well, in uh, 2100, uh, most of the, the alpine glaciers in Europe will be disappeared. So that will have serious impact on, um, on our fresh water supply. So I thought it's a nice metaphor because I, I often compare the climate challenge with a marathon. Uh, we, uh, we need a long-term approach. We have a clear goal, 1.5 degrees. Uh, we are running out of time. And uh, the pathways to get there are becoming steeper and steeper. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, how nice it is to run this marathon, uh, this climate marathon with climate experts to raise awareness for the impact of climate change and the importance of climate action. And uh, so we did, and we also uh, created some media attention. So we, uh, we were on the radio and in the, in the newspaper, um, which is really nice. And um, well, and now uh, in the Netherlands at the 21st of June, they will be um, inspired also by this, by our event, um, a climate marathon in the Netherlands raising awareness for the impact of, uh, of climate change and the importance of action. Because uh, yeah, the message is, it's not too late to run for climate, uh, but we have to uh, start acting today. And finally, Tim, what are three actions that our listeners can take from our conversation today to really activate into their world? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things you can do yourself. Um, actually, in my uh, in my book, The Only Planet, I'm actually working, in, by the way, on a on a translation in English. So uh, keep uh, keep <laughs> keep that in mind. But uh, there, uh, I also every route ends with uh, what can you do yourself. So that there are uh, 35 actions in this book. But I think uh, some easy actions you can do is uh, cut your meat uh, meat consumption. It's really impacting. Uh, uh, climate change and, and biodiversity a lot and also water uh, use of water so um, that's that's very easy uh, you don't not everybody has to be uh, vegan all the way uh, immediately but uh, transitioning um, also you can you can create um, your own space uh, make that uh, a green oasis uh, so uh, create biodiversity and green space in your own garden or in your own street. Yeah, that's that's also very easy, but it, it, you see it impacts immediately. Uh, um, also, uh, other people around it, around you, and they start doing it uh, as well. And the third thing is, uh, well, don't forget the key message that uh, that it's not too late to act and start talking about uh, the challenge with people. Uh, start talking about the climate challenge. But especially uh, start talking about uh, the future we, we do want and uh, the future we do want to create. And don't forget that uh, uh, it's not the, the techno fix where we have to focus on, but also these uh, nature-based uh, solutions. And uh, well, I would invite all listeners to develop a nature-based future for their street, for their uh, city, for their region, uh, for their country. Uh, because that really helps to um, well, well um, mobilize and give a hope, hopeful perspective for people instead of all these uh, alarming messages. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time we, we start to think, well, I can't change the world and who am I as one individual? But if you start literally with your own backyard, 
of your own home and your own street and then your own community and then you know you start to then build those ideas out we started a project in our region called Marlborough in New Zealand and so then we start to influence other regions that are close by that could do something similar so it does start to amplify that message so if we literally start in our own backyard and greenifying and doing and building wildlife corridors into our own smaller communities that then starts to amplify that change on a larger scale exactly that 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 these kind of great examples uh, spread like a virus actually yeah so we had the coronavirus now we need to maybe the the, the, nature the, the climate and the, <laughs> the nature virus. action virus yes to spread around the world as soon as possible i think i think it's really possible but because these great examples that they are um, people love that love to hear that and they also want that you have to create something that people also want and then they start doing it themselves and then it's spreading really fast so uh, and, and then we can accelerate i think really fast Thank you for listening to the Stories of Dutch Ingenuity podcast. Be sure to share some of the learnings you've uncovered in this episode with your networks as it is through knowledge sharing that we can start to move the dial and take collective action. I'm Catherine van der Meulen, founder of this podcast series and passionate about continuous education to be the change that we want to see in the world.